0: Hey, what's up? Sean here. Just a quick disclaimer before we start today's show. I had some audio issues on today's episode with Jackson Frank from Liberty Ballers. My audio is a little bit staticky. It's kind of like a 5 or a 6 out of 10. It's still pretty listenable. Jackson's audio is totally crystal clear, so there's no worries there. I apologize for my end. I'm having some weird connectivity issues over here and some weird mic stuff. I'm working on it. I'll get it taken care of before the next episode, which will be a live episode on Thursday night. But in the meantime, enjoy the chat. It's mostly Jackson talking anyway, so there's not much of me you're missing out. So enjoy the conversation with myself and Jackson and I'll get this audio stuff fixed hopefully for tomorrow. Thank you for your patience. On your Thursday episode of Locked on Raptors, we've spent a lot of time talking about what the Raptors have done to turn this series on its head, but what about what the Sixers have done to allow the Raptors to do so? And also, what were the Sixers doing so well at the start of the series that allowed them to take that 3-0 lead to begin with? We talk about those questions and so much more on today's episode with the wonderful Jackson Frank from Liberty Ballers and, frankly, all over basketball internet. That's all coming up on today's episode of Locked on Raptors. Oh, like because when I shot it, I expected to make it, so like I don't mm-hmm. shoot trying to mess, so. Welcome episode number 1168 of Lost On Raptors for Thursday, April the 27th. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can to Twitter. As always, at Woodley Sean, you can find the show at Locked on Raptors, and you can follow, subscribe to, rate, review the podcast wherever you get your podcast audio form. Plus, you can go subscribe to the YouTube channel and get uh, in on the action over there. We're almost at 2,000 subs, and we'll be going live after game number six from Scotiabank Arena tonight, so be sure you're subscribed. Set a reminder, I'll have by the afternoon a little post ready to go with the stream where you can go and wait all afternoon if you so please, so please go and jump over on the YouTube channel over there and uh, after the game tonight we will also see you for the next 30 minutes or so here on the podcast and we are going to dig into today the Sixers side of this series we talked a lot of the Raptors side of things talked a lot about Pascal Siakam and Precious Achua and how much he rocks but we haven't really gotten a great impression of what's going on in the Sixers side of the ledger since last week's crossover with Keith and Devon from Locked On Sixers and so Brought him in. He's, uh, he's been making the rounds on Raptors podcast the last couple days. He was on Samson Folk's podcast on Wednesday, uh, so he got the smart side of Raptors podcasting there. Now he gets the large gas bag uh side of it with me. It is Jackson Frank from Liberty Ballers, Basketball News, the analyst, and uh dime up, rocks as well. How's it going, Jackson?
1: I'm doing well. I'm, I'm happy to talk more about this series. And uh, yeah, like you said, making the rounds is on... On a podcast last week, after Game Two or Three, been been everywhere. So happy to happy to continue that, and hopefully I can change my language up a little bit. So if there's people who are following me from podcast to podcast, they're not getting this exact same verbiage across every single one.
0: Don't you worry, we're gonna get real dumb on my side. So you'll be able to (laughs) totally take it all the different directions than what you did with Samson. It's all good. No, uh, I do want to dig into some Sixer-centric stuff on today's show. Less so what the Raptors have been up to because we've covered that to death. The Sixers started off this series, I think, kind of turning it on its head a little bit, right? Like, we thought coming in, the Raptors were going to be this transition monster. They were going to force turnovers all over the place. In the first couple games, the Sixers totally flipped that previously thought notion on its head. They were the runs out and running. Tyrese Maxey was like a one-man fantastic on zone. You know, James Harden was scoring pretty effectively, and he was also playmaking really well because the Raptors were sending extra attention his way. Um, you know, lots of different things were going on in those first couple games there, but we should probably keep in on transition stuff, I think, to start, because that, to me, is where this series is kind of flipped. When the Sixers were running, the Raptors really didn't have a whole lot they could do. They could get back in their set defense and, you know, do the things that they'd like to do in their set defense, which is cause turnovers and get out on the run themselves. And the Sixers really seemed, I thought Doc Rivers coached the hell out of the team going into those first couple games, really keying in on those strengths that the Raptors have and ensuring they weren't going to be the strengths they could lean on in this series. That's dissipated, but I guess to go back to the start of the series, what, to your eyes, was the recipe for the success they were having in that specific department, owning the transition and turnover game? And, you know, I guess as the series gone along, where do you think that sort of magic juju was gone for the Sixers?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the two biggest things that were really helping the Sixers, and the first team especially, because I think you can make an argument that, like, the last three games, even though the Raptors didn't win game three, has been played to their style. Um, you know, so I'll just say kind of those first two at home in Philadelphia – was what's changed is the Raptors are not sending as many guys to the offensive glass anymore. Especially in Game Five, you watch a shot go up. Maybe one guy you know lurks around the paint, and maybe the guy who shot it you know watches it to see if it cameras back his way. But at least three guys are, are you know getting back in transition every time. Um, they're not really shading help against Harden anymore. They're playing him one on one, which is a like a move they you know obviously you, like hindsight twenty twenty, but a move that would have benefited this, the Raptors throughout the series to go to. Um, and so Harden's having more tr- trouble guys like Tobias Harris and Tyrese Maxey aren't finding as easy, you know, as easy shots, you know, with, with heart because Harden's so good at setting those guys up, especially. So, um, you know, that, that's that been tougher for them, but it just, yeah, it just comes down to the Raptors shifting those two things. just not being so aggressive on the boards, um, you know, on the offensive glass and then just realizing that, you know, they have the personnel to to guard hard one-on-one. And if, if he hits those step back threes and, you know, maybe hits a floater or step mid range step back then you live with it, but, we don't want to. You will not want to devote so much attention to a guy who's, you know, is a, is a good scorer. You know, maybe a solid scorer, if you want to call him, rather than the guy who averaged thirty five a game three years ago. You know, who was an all world scorer. So they've shifted that and kind of better defended Harden to reflect who he is now rather than maybe who he's been over the past decade or you know eight nine years.
0: Yeah, that's a uh, I think kind of been the thing that's forgotten its head a little bit at least with the way the Raptors have played defense. Uh, you know, the offensive rebounding thing is fascinating to me because. I didn't think the Raptors were going to have the juice in this series to win it if they weren't crashing the offensive glass like maniacs, right? Like their half-court offense has been so moribund at times this season. It's been really difficult. They've had to scratch and claw. And the reason they've been successful offensively is because despite having like the 27th or whatever effective field goal percentage in the league, they just clean up like 40% of their misses. That's been their recipe. They haven't done that as aggressively in this series they've had some big offensive rebounding games I think they had 13 in game four just three in game five though which i think everyone would agree is the best game the raptors have played so far this season are you surprised that the Raptors have been able to subsist without just a steady diet of offensive rebounds in this series? Like, even the first couple of games, I think the Sixers out-rebounded them on the offensive end, like 13-7 to 7 in game one. That, obviously, is, you know, is sort of a huge disparity from what you'd expect. But the Raptors' half-court offense was fine then, too. It didn't really need the offensive boards to keep themselves propped up. It was their defense that was just kind of pissing it away. Um, what do you make of the way the Raptors have kind of – skewed the offensive glass more so than they did in the regular season. Do you think that's sustainable for them in game six and seven?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I am surprised that the offense is, I mean, especially in game five, just the way the spacing the Raptors had offensive in the half court, like it just felt like they had room to operate in a way that they traditionally don't. Um, mm-hmm. And even it's even more surprising, you know, given Fred VanVleet hasn't played, He's, I think Fred has been so good at when he plays off the ball, kind of relocating openings and those deep threes and stuff. So that was just surprising. It just felt like the Raptor, not, not the cliche that they got whatever they wanted, but there was just, it didn't feel as bogged down as it normally does for them. And that was impressive. I, I, I mean, I have to go back and maybe rewatch diligently, but like just off the sure. eye, it was, it was tough to kind of read exactly why that was, but it was impressive for them. Um, and I, I think, you know, a lot of it's going to come down to Pascal Siakam, you know, if, if he, and I'm sure we'll talk about him later, but if he continue to be the guy, he's been the last two games, if I forget yeah, last two games, especially in game five, then the, uh, then they probably don't need you know to get all those extra chances right. Uh, if he has mm-hmm. if he comes out you know in game five in game six excuse me and is you know has a game where some of those tough shots that he's comfortable with don't fall, then then things get dicey. And so um, there are worse places to be than you know putting putting that faith in the the hands of your all NBA caliber forward I guess or all NBA forward. You know he has made a team, might uh, make another mm-hmm. one this season. So. Um that's that's my read on it, but I, I am surprised, especially with how limited Fred Van has been. You know, he played a little bit of game four and played all game five. And um, you know, it, it makes sense that they've had a little more success just because quite frankly, Fred hasn't been the the all-star self that he was through two thirds of the year. So um mm-hmm. kind of changing their ro- their lineups has benefited them. But uh, yeah, if you would have told me before this year, like I thought Fred I thought Fred was gonna be a pretty big swing factor, you know, if he was the post all-star break guy, the Sixers would be pretty in pretty good hands if he was a pre all-star break guy um they would struggle but obviously removing post all-star break fred from the series has really helped the raptors kind of do some things especially on defense and pascal has been good and gary and ogie hit some big shots and precious has had some fun some fun sequences offensively so it makes sense when you reflect back on it but before the series i would be i would have been very surprised
0: Yeah, Uh, Yeah, absolutely. I want to continue on here and dig into a little bit more from the Sixers side of things. What works, what hasn't, what hasn't worked, what could work in game six. And I want to talk about, in particular, Tyrese Maxey, who I think is kind of the biggest, uh, the guy who's been hurt the most probably by the fact that the Raptors don't have Fred VanVleet out there to target on defense. So they've just been large and long and neat flying out to him in all sorts of directions with different arms and different positions uh we'll get to that and a little bit more on the Sixers side of things in just one second here with jackson but first when i tell you about our friends over at betonline.net your number one source for all of your sports betting stats and info find all the latest sports developments league reviews and news including this year's basketball playoffs and the start of the major league baseball season all previewed for you and ready to go at betonline it's the place to go so you're making the informed wager Maybe for game six tomorrow, you want to get a little action going with the Raptors, or you can do the happiness hedge, which I've been telling you to do all year, all week. That is sorry, I guess year of the series feels like it's been a year, whatever. uh The happiness hedge is where you bet on the Raptors to lose, so even if they lose and you're sad, you get some money and are happy. That's the best way to do it. You make a lot of money betting on the Toronto Maple Leafs this way. Highly recommend you go and do that at Bet Online, and they have all the info you might need. You got live betting, you've got esports. You- really everything under the sun in the betting world over at bet online you can head to the website today use your mobile device to learn more but the trends in the action bet online is where the game starts and we continue on your first list of the day here with jackson frank from liberty ballers breaking down the sixer side of things in this series against the raptors tyrese Maxey, uh really good player Terrifying player in the first couple of games. Thirty-eight points in game one. Uh, really, just to me, the second most troublesome player that the Sixers have to offer right now, considering Harden's, uh, it, let's just say, diminished state. Uh, when it comes to Maxi, do you see against this Raptors defense, where, as I mentioned before the break, they've gone huge. They are flying out to the perimeter. They are running him off the line and then kind of waiting there with a second six-foot-nine guy in there in <laughs> floater range to make it difficult. Is there a way in your eyes that the Sixers can get Maxi back going and sort of in the flow of the offense in some sort of different, uh, you know, context. And he's been sort of asked to perform his last couple of games. Is it the matter of, like, do you put him on ball? Like, in sort of, I, I guess that's, you're asking Harden to stand off ball, which is a thing he's not necessarily been known to do for the last 10 years. But, like, is there a way they can get Maxi a little bit more involved? Because it feels like they badly need his scoring a punch, especially with how much they're sending attention to Embiid and forcing those passes out and the swings around.
1: Yeah, I think in one, one of the
0: biggest detrimental shifts from the Sixers side is, you you mentioned like
1: the first couple of games, especially like Doc. I thought was doing a great job overall, and even game three, I thought he was good. He's 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 reconfigured kind of the the staggering among the Sixers' four best players, you know, Tobias, Joel, Harden, and Maxi. And in the first couple of games, especially maybe even game three, I don't recall you know exactly, but first against for sure, they were staggering Harden and Maxi together a lot And that two man game. You know, in the embiid list lineups, were giving the Raptors pretty big issues. I think at least across the first two games, the Sixers might have been winning the non-Embiid minutes, if I recall. Um, hasn't gone that way since in you know, the last three games. But it was largely due to that because they were either having Harden screen for Maxi and Maxi get downhill, or vice versa. Um, and so that that is that's something that they need to go back to. Like they, I don't know why Doc went away from that. He he's you know he's talked about. You know, I don't know if it's much. Is it much this year? But last year, especially, like you talked about, like we're if we're gonna run something until the defense can stop it, or the other team can stop it. And the the Raptors weren't really stopping that, and they just and the Sixers decided <laughs> to deviate away from that that lineup pattern. So I don't really understand it. I'm sure there's a I'm sure there's some reason for it. Um, but I think that would that would definitely help both those guys because the Sixers need at least one of them to you know supplement Embiid or just like like whatever supplement you know take. Not take over, but maybe lead the charge. With the bead being a little compromised um, with a thumb injury, so um, that's what I would try and go back to that two-man game. And I also think, as you mentioned, on the ball a little bit, you saw that at the end of game five, before the Sixers kind of waved the white flag, they had Harden in the corner a lot. They had Maxi up top, and Maxi's speed is still something that gives the Raptors issues, even though they've schemed for it better, as you said. Um, you just you know, at the point of attack, they're still not like a super. They're they're long and they're rangy, but they're not fast at the point of attack. Um, and so you sure. saw some high ball screen for Maxi. It didn't always work because Maxi is small and he's not a great passer. Um, but you saw them at least get some stuff downhill going. I think hard, maybe hit one or two threes in the last, in it, before he subbed out, maybe the last four or five minutes there, um, at least had one three. That was kind of a result from Maxi you know, collapsing the defense. So, um, those are things that I, I think for the Sixers sake, you want to see more of, I don't know if we will, because as you mentioned, Sean Harden is not a great off ball player. And, um, and so it's a complicated place to be, but, you know, I think he's also still been, like, he doesn't take the catch and shoots, but he still is decent at kind of that shot fake and sidestep, which doesn't always work. But, you know, it's better than nothing, I guess. So um I think we'll see both of those things more. I think we'll at least see more of the maxi on the ball because we did already see that. But, um, you know, the, the, the two-man game is just a matter of how Doc configures the rotations. And I don't I don't know what to expect because, as I noted, it's been... He hasn't really let the results necessarily dictate what's happening. Maybe he has maybe maybe he didn't like the look of things. You know, in one of the games, I just I just didn't see it. But um, he hasn't let the outcome, I should say, of the game dictate his lineup. So that's tough to predict.
0: Totally fair. And then, sort of on the thread of finding ways to grease up the Sixers' offense, which has been pretty sticky the last three games. I think you're totally right when you said before that like, game three was kind of played by the Raptors script and I, ultimately that felt like it was won by just ridiculous Embiid shot making more than anything else and my god it was ridiculous. Um, obviously the thumb's got to be a thing that he's dealing with and I, I think that's probably why we're seeing a little bit less in terms of volume and accuracy from those mid-range shots The threes and stuff like that. The Raptors seem absolutely content to be like, "All right, Joel, you want to take those threes with your bum thumb? Go nuts!" Like we're fine with that. Um, Do you see ways in which they can sort of get Embiid going a little bit more? You know, in different positions. You know, I'm always worried when he has the ball, like. at the nail, and he kind of has the whole floor to operate with, right? Like, you can send doubles all you want, there's just more space, more outlets, more ways for him to pass butters, he can hit, stuff like that, that becomes just a lot more difficult to deal with than when he's kind of getting it on the elbow and you know, you know, Siakam's gonna come down from the wing, and you you kind of just know it's sort of scripted in that way. They haven't used him a ton. I think just to look at the track that at NBA.com, 9% of his possessions have been as a role man, and he's only scoring 0.91 points per possession in those situations. But do you see an avenue here where maybe there's just more to Joel Embiid pick and roll over the course of these games? Like, you think Haven Harden can work in that? Like, I don't know if that's, you know, something you even want to do necessarily. That doesn't feel like, you know, NBA his biggest strength there ever really has been never been the thing he wants to do most but as far as ways to get Embiid going towards the basket which is kind of the way he's scored in this series right it's enormous he's lumbering he gets into the sort of you know six foot range there's just nothing you can do about him is it just a matter of him trying to make himself a target on the roll like or is there something else there where you can get Embiid in those positions kind of sealing out down low where you know the fact that he's seven foot two is just kind of insurmountable for the Raptors
1: yeah, so I think, you know, you 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 totally kind of were on we're on on target there with him him playing at that free throw line extended area has been the most many menacing position for me. That's how he dominated offensively in the second half of game three when he was fantastic, as you said. Um, and the Raptors also played him a little more single coverage than the doubles because, you know, as you mentioned, it's hard to bring the doubles there um, and whatnot, especially when they have four shooters. Like they didn't play Matisse to play in game three, of course. So it's largely all shooters around Joel. So that helps, but um you know, the issue with some of this stuff is like, and Joel's talked about it, you know, is that a lot of these things require him to use that hand and expose that hand to the, the Raptors' aggressive defense. And that, I mean, that's not me at all saying the Raptors are like intentionally going for his hand, but it's just the nature of basketball, yeah. right? That if you're going to be dribbling the ball or you're going to be even initiating a dribble handoff against a team like the Raptors that are trying to force turnovers and, and whatnot and know that maybe you're not as secure in that ball control, they're going to go for things. And so I can't imagine as comfortable when, you know, the ball even like bounces up into his hand in the wrong spot. So that's the issue, right? Is that a lot of the usage Embiid has. And I mean, any player, right. Involves their hand. It seems like the last couple of games, the only places he's had consistent success is those deep seals, which as you mentioned, are really menacing for, <laughs> for the Raptors because of his <laughs> size advantage. But um, that's not, that's not like you can't go to that every time, right? Like part of what's made Embiid so good the last year is why he's been an MVP finalist used for years it's because he's not just a post-up guy or a deep seal. He can play from the free throw line. He, this year he's gotten really good at the roll man stuff. It hasn't been, you know, it's not always the most aesthetically pleasing, but he, I think he was like in the 75th percentile or something in the regular season as a roller. So um that, that helps. But the, the issue is his best pick and roll partner, James Harden. They, they like to kind of more run those pin down, those out like pin down handoffs of the Chicago action rather than just a traditional high ball screen, because they run a high ball screen. They'll just switch it. And Harden hasn't been good against switches this year. And while you've maybe got a deep seal with Embiid, which I think they'll probably try to go to a little more, it's just not as clean as the the dribble handoff for Embiid where Harden gets the ball on the move and then he's already in the paint and then the Raptors are in a tough spot. But a dribble handoff, like I said earlier, requires him to maybe risk the Raptors getting a steal or colliding with that thumb. And so all it just kind of connects back to that. The, The easiest way for him to get buckets without maybe risking you know the thumb being you know just putting in a little more pain or soreness are those deep seals but those deep seals aren't something you can run 25 times a game like you can an elbow touch or a a mid post or a pin to the dribble handoff stuff so it's a tough situation for the Sixers to be in but I think it just really it just depends on where Embiid's pain tolerance is and if it's you know on the lower end then they that diversifies what he can do offensively if it's on the higher end they're gonna have to you know have guys like Tobias and Harden and Maxi step up and it requires a little more on of doc to put them in the best lineups and units that can allow those other three guys to really do what they do
0: best. Indeed on the roll kind of reminds me of like Jonas Valanciunas on the roll during his Raptors heyday where they never ran it enough and it never really looked all that pretty, but like it was pretty damn successful because how the hell do you stop this Mack truck who's rolling towards the basket? Like, you know, that would be if I'm the six or something, I'm trying more, but yeah, I mean, it's tough, right? Like, all of the things that they are trying to do, the Raptors are also offering some kind of resistance. Like, there's a reason is not getting 25 steals a game. It's because, you know, Thad Young is meeting him high up the floor, and they're b- battling for position, and they're kind of uh, making it difficult for him to get that spot. And so, yeah, it's... Uh... It's tough sledding right now for the Sixers offense. And perhaps the way they turn this thing around is to ratchet up the defense against one Pascal Siakam. On the other side of the break, I want to dig into, might we see some changing of coverages against Siakam by the Sixers? Uh, going into game number six, and uh, on that note, kind of, we'll talk about Doc Rivers, who said some stuff today, uh, and we'll talk about whether or not he's inspiring much confidence over with the people watching the Sixers. We'll get to that in just one second here, but first, I want to talk about our friends over at rockauto.com. Speaking of Mack trucks, if you have a Mack truck or some other large vehicle or a small vehicle, whatever it might be, you might come to the part where you have a part in your car that needs to be replaced and you go to the mechanic you say hey i need this part replaced and they will say hey it costs this much and there's just nothing you can do about it and it's going to be the highest price they can possibly charge you instead you should take the power bat and go get the part for rockauto.com instead you go to RockAuto, auto you plug in your make your year your, your model and you will find all sorts of specifications and prices and uh different models that you can choose from so you get the selection that works for you example you're gonna save a lot of money for example if you go to uh you look for a honda odyssey fuel pump for example it's just written in my copy here so we'll go with that 353 bucks at a regular chain store is what you're gonna typically pay 216 is what the going rate is for that same part at rockauto.com that's a lot of scratch that you're saving and not spending on your car no one wants to spend that much money on their car at least not i i'm a person who uses my car to get from point a to point b i don't want to spend extra money on that damn thing and you shouldn't want to do that either go to rockauto.com if i can use their website as a car dumb dumb you can use it as well. It's super intuitive. Go to rockauto.com right now. See all the parts available for your car truck and write Locked On or Had You Here. But us? we sent you amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the car parts you'll ever need at rockauto.com. And we continue on. Final segment here on Locked On Raptors with Jackson Frank from Liberty Ballers. Dime, uh, Basketball News, the analyst. You're doing wonderful stuff, Jackson. <laughs> the crew you have at Basketball News uh, kicks a lot of ass. So uh, keep up the work over there uh, in Liberty Ballers is cool, too. We love them, even though I'm a Raptors HQ man and we're supposed to hate each other or something. I don't know. Uh, but either way, uh, Pascal Siakam. Uh, we've mentioned he's uh, torching the Sixers the last couple of games after that rough second half in Game 3 that caused all manner of horrible, horrible takes about him. Uh, he has certainly quieted those horrible takes and has been amazing the last couple of games, just kind of having full control of the offense from the middle of the floor, kind of knowing where everything is coming at him and then reacting accordingly. And the mid-range touch came back in the last couple games as well, which has been massive. Do you envision anything different that the Sixers might do to try to defend him? I posited yesterday on the show. Like, do you just start sending like full-on traps his way at the top of the pick and roll, especially since he's running more pick and roll these last couple of games as well? Does that open up the opportunity to just, all right, we'll throw as much length as we can at this dude, force it to pass out, and then dare Gary Tread Jr., OG and Obi or Scotty Barnes to beat us on the weak side? Like, is that overly aggressive? Do you think? Like are the Sixers? I mean, I know the answer to this. The Sixers are not. You know, equipped the same way the Raptors are, for example, to run traps and then rotate on the back end, right? Like, they just don't have the defensive personnel. They don't have the quickness. They don't have everyone being six foot nine and limber. Um, Do you think that's a viable strategy for the Sixers to just start to help teams' weight or? Is it something where they should maybe you know, kind of maybe just send different looks? You know, that's kind of the best way to do it against any of these stars, right? Is just sort of offer different looks every time down. Didn't really seem like they were doing much different time to time in the game uh, on Monday in game five. Siakam see, just seemed to be like, all right, where's Joel? I'm going to pick him out. We're going to run, pick and roll. And we're going to score. Um, but, you know, what's the sort of answer if you're Doc Rivers? Do you send more attention Siakam's way? If not, is there another sort of strategy you'd like to see them implement?
1: Yeah, so two things that I I've kind of maybe I've thought about. I definitely talked about at least one of them with Samson. Um, maybe I talked about it as well on a Liberty Ballers podcast recently. But um, I think the biggest issue in Game Five and even Game Four to an extent is the the number of possessions Tobias is getting to guard Siakam have definitely decreased because they're the Raptors are running more screens and they're getting Tobias off him and smartly so because Tobias has been great in individual situations, but he's not some incredible navigator of screens um it's just tough to it's just tough to be really good navigating screens at six seven six eight um shout out herbert <laughs> jones for that though um yeah <laughs> but and so that's been an issue but i think what i would try and do to counter that is you have to have i would say at least at least one probably two of danny green pass uh, to buy danny green tobias harris and joel and beat on the floor and pascal is playing because i yeah. think if you're going to set more screens you're going to be kind of wanting to, I don't know if this is a, maybe the proper usage in this context, but almost a scram switch where if you see a Gary or an OG or whoever, a Scotty going to set a screen, you realize that Danny or Tobias or Joel is not the man guarding the screener. You're going to get that person involved, right? Because he's just, because he's, Siakam's just been crushing Max. He's been crushing George and Yang. Like, I don't know who else is really guarding him a lot, but um, and he even had more success against Tobias at times. Tobias forced him in tough shots, but. Pascal is a very good tough shotmaker because that's what stars do. Um, but that's what I would try and do more of is just be really diligent about making sure, like, okay, who, whoever's whoever screening for Pascal is going to bring one of our on, like one of our three only credible Pascal defenders into the into sure. the frame. We're not going to let him attack Max here in a Yang or you know Thibault or whoever. I guess Thibault would be game six, be potential game seven. Um, so even though I, I mean I don't think Matisse should play based off, based off game five. Uh, I don't think you should play him potentially. I would
0: like there. him to play more, please. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. I'm sure everyone on the Raptors side would enjoy that. Um, but no, so I think that's what I would try and do. And then I think, yeah, some traps, but you, I think you'd only want to trap with Joel, right? Like you don't, you don't want to bring, you don't want to have Tobias on and then try and have, have Danny Green trapping or George and anything. They just don't have the size to really fluster Pascal, but definitely throw different looks because I think and Samson kind of talked about this and I mean, we followed suit is that, he's got Pascal's figured out kind of when the help is coming from those corners and those wings. And he's, he's realizing how to kind of manipulate them in terms of getting a shot off quicker or making a, a, a quicker pass. So um, changing the looks is going to be important, but yeah, those are the two things I would do is just make sure you're always kind of matching two of those guys or one of those guys with Pascal out there. And then, you know, don't let anyone else guard, <laughs> guard those guys. Uh, it's it's a lot <laughs> easier said than done, of course, because, You know, the Raptors have been setting some good screens, especially Gary set some really nice screens at times. And, and so um, that's been difficult for the Sixers to recover from, but that's the biggest thing As I would do is, yeah, trapping with Joel when he's not the primary guy, but um, Joel just has to be better. Like, I mean, he, he wasn't very good defensively. He was was quite putrid defensively in the third quarter of that game. And he he, he took responsibility for it. I think it's probably the worst defensive quarter I've seen from him in the playoffs. Um, So he'll have to be better there. I don't, you know, I expect him to because his playoff his history as a playoff defender and you know the Raptors know quite well is excellent, but yep. um, but I, I mean you just don't know because he's now dealing with a different circumstance so um, we'll see but yeah I mean you, you feel comfortable switching Joel onto Pascal most of the time but if he if he plays like he did in game game five third quarter where both Precious and Pascal were getting the rim against him you're you're going to be in a tough spot so um, it, it there it, it's very much it's it's very simplistic to reset to just say that a lot of the things the Sixers need to do better comes down to Joel. But um, when you get into the details of it, it makes sense. It's not just saying he's their best player. There are certain things that he poses a significant advantage over hypothetically with the Raptors that he has failed to do, you know, for reasons, you know, his own because of the injury. And then also some things the Raptors have changed up on him and and done well. So those are the two things I would do is trap with Joel and then make sure that, you know, your, your front court, your starting front court of Danny, you, Danny, Tobias, and Joel are the only ones that are guarding Pascal for the most part.
0: So Jackson, we've talked about X's and O's. We've gotten it into the degree. We've been nuanced. We've been thoughtful. I have two bigger picture questions to ask you now. Uh, Doc Rivers had his little thing today where he was talking about it. actually all the 3-1 leads I've blown were for reasons, right? It's not, they're not that bad. There's all there's circumstances behind all of them. Um, like, you feel like for three games now, the Raptors have had the run of the series and it's kind of been on the Sixers to do something to kind of gain back control that they had in the first couple of games. And obviously a lot of that is going to fall on Doc Rivers. I don't know if Doc Rivers is to blame on that much in this series. I kind of made the point around like game three that like there's not a ton to adjust between these two teams because they both have like seven guys that you trust. And if you're kind of they're all deployed in this in, in you know, the ways that they're deployed. Um Obviously, we've talked about many ways that things can be changed, but like, what's just like the general confidence level in Doc Rivers amongst follow, care about, love the Sixers? Like, is it like a pretty dour vibe overall? I think I know the answer to this, but like, what's the level of confidence that Doc Rivers can be the one to turn this series back around? Yeah, I don't think it's very high, and
1: I don't think it's, I mean, I, I don't think. Sixers fans have really had any confidence in him since last year. I mean, they didn't blow a 3 1 lead last year, but they basically did, right? I mean, you're up, right, whatever it was, 25, 20 points in game four, and then you're up 25 again in game five, and you lose both of them. I mean, those, those, the series wasn't 3 1, but you know you, you know what I mean, right? Like they're up, they're up in the second yeah. half by a significant margin. It's There's basically a through 3-1. line here. Yeah. 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 It's, they blew a 2.7 to 1 lead. It's not any better, and it really, so, um, yeah, and I, I think. You know, I think Doc has done an okay job. Like, I don't, I think Doc is an NBA coach. I don't think he's a coach to lead a team with title aspirations. I just, I think, you know, the way that people, they've covered the Clippers kind of described it best is when he has to kind of coach up a, a, an under-talented roster compared to certain, you know, maybe the, the, the cream of the crop in a certain conference, he, he does well. I mean, you look at that that Clippers team that, you know, could have took one or two and kept the Warriors. Um, he was great, but then you look at when they had Paul George and Kawhi, he, you know, he wasn't super good. So, um, at least in, you know, as far as the coverage I saw, and I you know, I'm not watching every game, so I can't really speak for sure there. But um, I, so I, I don't think there's a lot of confidence, and, and rightfully so, because you know, I think it's fair to say that yeah, Doc isn't like the primary reason the Sixers have looked bad these last two games. But he's not helping. He's not helping in the cause. I think in the first two, two to three games, he was doing really well to put limited players in roles that fit them, fit them aptly. And the last two games, I don't think he's done that very well. Um, I think that's really been an issue. and so like, as you mentioned, when you have guys that are very really limited, like you said seven I think that they trust Seven's probably generous for the stickers I'm sure maybe when it comes down to it it might be even generous at times for the raptors. Um, but when you when you put those guys who are limited in tough spots, you don't allow you don't put you don't like you don't aid their cause to play well and I think back to the, the lineup they put out there at the start of game or the start of the second quarter in game five, which is basically where the, you know, the game really. was over at that point. Um, they played like I think they played Niang, Maxi, uh, Paul Reed, and Matisse out there together, and all those guys play much, like just fit much better conceptually and just based on results with Harden. And Harden wasn't out there to start that quarter, and they didn't score a point for the first <laughs> whatever it was. It was it was quite a dismal you know, opening stretch there. So just that sort of example yeah. where you have you have you know, have a, guy, a a limited defender in Niang, but who was very good at kind of those pick and pops, those slide screens with Harden. Um, you know, you don't you don't have a guy to draw two to the ball um, to open him up for those. You have a a guy Matisse who can't really do anything offensively besides finish layups occasionally, and you don't have anyone to draw two to the ball for him and open up cuts. Don't,
0: don't say football. that. He can throw. He can miss threes and have them land in the hands of Scotty Barnes and Precious Achua and have them go in. Come on. Man. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was. <laughs> That was not, yeah, that, that was tough. But then you have a guy like Paul Reed,
1: who, you know, is best when he play in that little dunker spot room on the baseline and Harden kind of drive and, and shovel in passes, and you don't have Harden out there. So um, just that that sort of thing that, you know, just exacerbates the issues that maybe players are already, you know, enduring. So um, I, I think, right, like, I think through three games, there was, you know, a case we made that Doc was coaching a better series than Nick Nurse. But I think through five, it's been the last two, especially, I think how much better nurses coach than doc. It is it totally kind of flipped in his favor. And I, I mean, understandably so nurses proven to be a better coach in terms of how he adjusts things. But um, yeah, I don't think there's a lot of comments. That's why I think it's going to come down to Joel and Maxine, these guys. And, you know, I think if Joel can be his aggressive self, the guy who averaged 30 a game and can handle these touches from different spots on the floor that really kind of sucks in the defense um, and opens things up for everyone else, the Sixers would be in a good spot, but if it falls more on doc to kind of, be the impetus they're they're going to be in a difficult spot so um we'll see but yeah i think rightfully so doc has not really earned the benefit of the doubt with sixers fans and even sixers analysts and writers like myself but you know he surprised me with the first two or three games so you know maybe that happens again but i'm
0: i'm not counting on it (laughs) so so we'll see the, the, the uh, adjustment to run the DeAndre Jordan-Joel Embiid front court is going to be the new Serge Ibaka-Marcasol duo that turned the 2019 series on its head, Maybe I think we might see DeAndre Jordan based on how Paul Reed played the last game, and I don't think that's good for the Sixers. Um, we will uh, close on this. This is sort of a bigger picture Sixers thing, too. Um, you know, coming into the playoffs... There was hope that this team could make it out of the East. I don't know if it was ever like a totally realistic hope, considering that you know, still a complete roster. You would figure maybe next year is when they kind of continue to build the thing around Harden and Embiid with a little bit more in terms of suit what those two guys are going to require from role players. But do you? How do you feel? Like do you think the title equity of this year Sixers team has taken? Importance? five games you know they go up 3-0 it looked wonderful but of course you get the thumb injury in there Harden didn't look like amazing or anything like that in those games I wasn't terribly blown away I, I think you can barely get by Gary Trent Jr. and half these possessions is kind of a problem if you have designs of a title has your view on them as like an actual champion, tender altered at all in these games or is it kind of where it was when it when you came in
1: uh, same as when it came in I thought the Sixers would win this in six games I didn't I didn't think it would go in this fashion you know I thought it'd be more maybe a <laughs> you know a 2-2 and then the Raptors stickers rattle right, right off a couple of close ones but um it's it's staying the same like i think i think they'll win game 6 just because i am going to stick with my pick like i the the game the order of how things have unfolded is not been what i expected but what things are unfolding is what what i thought would happen so going to stick with sure. it in that sense but um like I, I i i i wasn't terribly impressed with the heat in the first round either like i think I think that's a that's a winnable series if they reach that point. I probably wouldn't pick them just because I think the Heat, you know, presents me. And I think the 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 bit, like people say, oh, like you know, Tobias could guard Jimmy the same way, but Jimmy is just a much different like off-ball player than Pascal, and that's where Tobias really struggles. So um, that's put that puts you in a tough spot. So I, I don't love that, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if they win that series. I I think some of my if they, if they win if the Sixers win Game Six, so how they look in that one will maybe determine some of how I feel about it. But um, I really struggle to see them beating you know the the Celtics or the Bucks. I mean, no disrespect. I'm going to assume that the Bucks d- defeat the depleted, unfortunately, Bulls in game five on Wednesday. So um, mm-hmm. I just, and I think, you know, assuming if the Bucks got to that point, you'd imagine they have Chris Middleton back. So um, just a yeah. tough time seeing them beat either of those teams. Those teams kind of look like the cream of the crop right now to me in the East. Um, but I, I'm not going to rule it out because you get to these Conference finals and you have a guy like Joel Embiid, you're not in a terrible spot. You need to assume that if they get that far, the thumb would be less of an issue. But um, yeah, I, I'd probably pick them to lose in the second round. That's kind of what was my prediction, you know, coming into this playoffs when I picked the Raptors. Sixers win in six, but um, you know, I thought they had a little more in them after they they won the third game of the series. But you know, it, the the bigger sample has proven correct, so I should trust my gut there. But yeah, I'd pick them to lose five or six to the Heat, maybe seven. I don't know, but yeah, I, I think I agree with you that once they can kind of fully get this roster made around Joel and Harden and. Um, and I think even like in Harden's talked about it extensively that he didn't really get to play basketball last summer because he was rehabbing. I think that's, I think you could, the optimistic lens could be that, you know, he, a full season to kind of, or off season to adjust to that and actually play five on. I think the, there like report from him was that like five on five is what he couldn't do. And if you, if you don't have time to kind of adjust your style, it's tough. So that would be the optimistic lens, but it could be that just the hamstring has totally redefined what level of explosive explosiveness he has. So, We'll see, but I wouldn't be surprised if he's back to you know a better state next year, and he goes for maybe the the All Star the All Star the flawed All Star to maybe back to the All NBA guy, and there's a big difference there. So we'll see, but I agree with you that next year would be the year year three Maxi who could be a you know maybe a fringe All Star. We'll see there, you know maybe see what they do with them. You know, Maurice generally done pretty well in the off seasons, you know making some moves. Sure. So. Um, I doesn't know what the trade deadline. just the to harden things, miss on some, some stuff, but uh, off has been a, off seasons have been a strong suit of his with the Sixers for two years. Two years, so I genuinely agree with you that I think you know next year is better for them, but second round out most likely. But we'll see. Like I said, don't not an Aaron by the Heat, so I wouldn't be surprised, but I would still favor the Heat if they get that far.
0: Yeah, I mean, it is wild how many predictions from before the series are still alive and possible, (laughs) uh, considering the way the games have gone. I had Sixers and Seven myself. I assumed that just sort of the Joel of it all would eventually tilt the Sixers way. I feel a little as good about that right now, considering, you know, I'll have to believe it when I see it that the Sixers sort of gain back control of the sort of key battleground areas of the series but uh it's been a blast to watch and uh looking forward to tomorrow it was wonderful talking to you jackson man thank you so much for hanging out it was a lot of fun you uh know your stuff dude and uh thank you for bringing some smartness to the podcast for once uh so (laughs) uh we're checking all your work yeah appreciate the kind words always happy to talk
1: about this series it's been quite fun and confusing and ebbs and flows, but uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Jack Frank under J J F. The places that I write are all listed in my bio. there. always good about sharing my work, posting different clips and whatnot. Um, just wrote about something, you know, wrote about the Grizzlies wolves series game five yesterday about John Morant, who was quite delightful in the second half. So you can check that out basketball news. As you said, we have even beyond me, we have a bunch of really, really cool people doing stuff there. So um, appreciate you having me on and always excited to, to talk basketball. And these two, uh, contrasting teams who are locked in quite the fun series.
0: That is one way to describe them. Uh, that will do it for today's episode. Again, the next episode of this podcast will be a live show at Scotiabank Arena following the game tomorrow night. So be sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel. Hit your reminders when the show goes live, and I'll break it all down for you from uh, high above in the gondola up there with the terrible lighting that we have up there. But you'll just have to deal with it. It's fine. Uh, that'll do it. Thanks so much for tuning in. For second list today and locked on to NBA. And Until then, enjoy game six. We'll talk to you soon. Bye.